Our gospel lesson today is from Mark 9, starting with verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak ill of me. Whoever is not against us is for us, For truly I tell you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's be in prayer. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So last summer, uh, my wife Jessica and I decided to take a trip out to Cummins Falls, the new state park that's just north of Cookville. And uh, as the name implies, the park has a waterfall and uh, a beautiful one at that with these multiple tiers and this great swimming hole at its base. Now to get to the falls themselves, you descend from an overlook either by going down this rope or by taking a path that leads you downstream after which you have to walk back upstream. Now uh, Jessica, not being the keenest fan of heights and also being a couple of months pregnant, Uh, we opted for the trail. Uh, So following it probably a mile downstream and then following it back upstream, all the while, by the way, wearing inappropriate footwear, I was in tennis shoes and she was in sandals because we didn't do our research and we didn't know that this would involve a a hike through a creek. Um, we, We finally get to the falls. And as we arrived, in spite of being in this sort of canyon and surrounded by this great natural beauty and all this stuff that we've been eager to see, uh, my inner curmudgeon emerges. Uh, and, it's true. And, and I notice this group of kids, they're on the, one of the tiers, and they're jumping into the swimming hole. And you know, I thought to myself, you know, we've come all this way, and now we've got to put up with these rowdy kids. And, and I noticed that one of them, who I judged to be about 16, had this tattoo on his shoulder. I'm like, I don't, I don't have a problem with tattoos, but I, how do you have a tattoo that young? Like, where, where is this kid's parents? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and so, but you know, I put my inner curmudgeon aside and I started to enjoy where we were. So I swim out, and as I get close, I notice that the kid's tattoo uh, says, uh, Do I dare disturb the universe? And I recognized at once that that was a line from T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, which happens to be one of my favorite poems. Uh, it's one of the greatest poems of the 20th century, and you very well have studied it in school. 
So I, I, this one, I was feeling bad for having judged the poor young man. And I said to him, hey, nice T.S. Eliot tattoo. Uh, and after that, he explained with perfect elocution and manners uh, why that was one of his favorite poems uh, as well. So I haven't told you the story to set up a sermon about good behavior or welcoming people who aren't exactly like us. Those are very good lessons, but they're hardly the stuff of the dramatic words that we've just heard about unquenchable fire and deeds of power and great millstones or even that strange word, peace. No, this incident at Cummins Falls reminded me of something about risk. That day, I very selfishly was perturbed at the risk of losing something that I thought belonged to me, uh, in my case, a small portion of a nice day. And likewise, the poem on the kid's tattoo, uh, the poem that it refers to, at least on the surface, is about a man who's afraid of the risks that he will be taking by saying out loud what he really feels. But as Christians, we are called to much more of a profound risk, the risk of following Jesus. And our lesson from Mark today, John lodges an objection with Jesus. There's an exorcist who's been casting out demons in Jesus' name without being a part of the inner circle of disciples. Now, I met with a, a small group of folks to study through this passage in preparation for today's message. And among us, we noticed that we couldn't quite determine what this exorcist was up to. Maybe he's legitimate. You know, maybe he's mocking Jesus. Uh, maybe the disciples are just jealous. Uh, my, my preference is actually for the last of those theories. Um, Thomas, who's one of our, our regular worshipers at the Foundry, which is uh, you know, our fourth Sunday, Sunday evening worship service, pointed out something that I had not noticed before. Uh, John's objection to the exorcist is, not, is that he is not following us. Not that he's not following you, Jesus, but that he's not following us. And considering that the disciples themselves had only a little earlier in this chapter failed to cast an unclean spirit out of a, a boy who had convulsions, um, the idea that they're jealous seems pretty likely. But whatever the reason, Jesus is unconcerned. He seems to say that even if this exorcist is a fake disciple, he's willing to take that risk because the exorcist work can still contribute to the Messiah's mission. If we are going to follow Jesus, we too must be willing to set aside our personal concerns for the risk of being deeply committed. To follow means that we are not in charge. And if we're not in charge, that means that things might not go the way that we want them to go. The earliest Christians knew this very, very well. Uh, in fact, they called themselves the way. Uh, and the idea being that they were on Jesus' path and not uh, their own. They were following Jesus' path. They weren't following their own path. And so, too, Jesus' early uh, followers they called disciples, uh, a term that implies not only being a student, but being a follower. And that's what Jesus' disciples did. They followed him around from place to place. This kind of, of self-surrender is risky. But as with the disciples, following Jesus has the power to turn our expectations on their heads. What's more, this way of following Jesus requires all of ourselves you, you can't follow Jesus with only part of your life. To follow a path, you know, your whole person has to go down the path with you, right? 
Uh, you can't leave your arm or your leg or your eye behind. To hold back a part of yourself from the risk of, of being a disciple means that you know, we really haven't taken up the risk of following Jesus at all. The, the whole person risk of following Jesus brings us to this strange second portion of our lesson from Mark. Jesus warns about stumbling blocks and stumbling in, in these highly dramatic terms. It's better, he says, to have a huge stone hung around your neck and to be thrown into the sea than to put a stumbling block before the little ones who believe in him. And it's better to lose a hand or an eye or a foot if it causes you to stumble than to keep those parts of yourselves. In our small group, one person said that if he took this literally, then he would be limbless. Uh, and, and another person said, you know, simply, this is crazy. And, and you may be thinking the same thing. Nathan, a baker, uh, pointed out to me that the, the cost of losing a limb in Jesus' world was, was social as well as physical. You might become an outcast or lose your means uh, to make a living. So, so, so this image is even more drastic, if that's even possible, than we might imagine at first. So I don't intend to take the edge off of it. On top of that, Jesus says that the alternative to losing these parts of ourselves is, to be, is being cast into hell. The word here is, is Gehenna, and it's a reference to a valley that's south of Jerusalem. Uh, and it was there, it was believed, that earlier in Israel's history, worshipers of rival gods, which sometimes included Judah's own kings, uh, practiced child sacrifice. And some scholars have suggested, though there's a little bit of debate about this, that that area during Jesus' time served as a garbage dump with a perpetually burning fire. Either way, it's a bad place. And in short, the stakes in this message could absolutely not be higher. Now, many people have heard these words as uh, words of condemnation, but I don't actually think that's what's going on here. What Jesus is doing is giving us a reversed image to show just how important it is to bring our total commitment, to bring all of ourselves to the task of following him. You can see that in, in the emphasis that he puts on stumbling, right? Stumbling, of course, is a problem if you're trying to follow. Uh, set against John's complaint that a person he believes isn't following uh, Jesus, or us, actually, uh, these words about stumbling suggest that it's actually John and the other disciples, and perhaps ourselves, who are creating this problem. We are called, in fact, to bring every part of ourselves to the work of discipleship, to the risky work of discipleship. But we know, as Jesus did, that it isn't actually our hands or our eyes or our feet that cause us to sin. It's something else in us. And it's those things that need to be exercised or cut off. And so with this call to cut off hands or feet or to pluck out eyes, Jesus is telling us that we actually need to bring the entirety of ourselves to the work of following him. Now, one of the, our youth group members reminded me of this uh, skit that we saw at, at Fish Camp that speaks to this. Fish Camp is their summer mission trip that's in, uh, and retreat that's in East Tennessee. The skit features a girl who ha who's been weighed down with all these unhealthy aspects of her life, and they show them on, literally on her. And she comes across Jesus, and Jesus proceeds to take out a, a chisel and hammer and come up to her and 
remove those different parts of her. You see in the skit them, them fall off of her. And, and the process is painful for her, but it's necessary. And at the end, she emerges with her uh, true self revealed, uh, and she's able to be his full-fledged follower. This skit asks us what parts of our life, even the so-called risky behaviors that we think will keep us safe but actually won't, uh, need to be removed to make us who God would have us to be. Now, this is important because being who God made us to be is the job of being Jesus' followers. We believe that we are made in God's image, and we're meant to show God to the world through our very lives. And our good creation by God is an affirmation both of our, our physical existence and of its importance to God's work in the world. That's why we have to bring all of ourselves to being a disciple. And, and as this is true for us as persons, it's also true for us as a church. Uh, Tom Laney, who helps run the Turner Center for Church Leadership at Vanderbilt, and who's preached here before, so many of you have met him, uh, taught me this great line. He told me once, uh, along with some other students, uh, this, come help us not die is not a church mission, but based on our wholeness as God's people and reflecting God into the world as Jesus' followers, that right there, that is a mission for the church. Jesus' final words to his disciples uh, and to us in this passage suggest what that kind of mission looks like. It looks like the bringing of God's peace. Uh, In our conversation the other day, uh, Stephen Stinson summarized this message really well. He said that we have to, uh, to live at peace or the world will fall apart. Unlike John, who in this instant loses his saltiness, uh, it is our job to be salt and to be peace. And it's here, too, that we take up the risk of following Jesus. The final portion of this passage is, again, about our risky mission as God's people. In quick succession, Jesus tells us that we will face difficulties. We will, on the one hand, be salted with fire. But in another sense, we, it is ours to be salt for others. Salt, you know, then as now, is a preservative. But you need pure salt, salt as it was meant to be for it to work properly. So Jesus' command, then, to be at peace with one another carries a similar idea of of things being as they should be, for us being what we were meant to be, uh, of putting the world in its place of rightness. Though Mark, of course, is writing in Greek, Uh, Jesus' words here may very well for his audience have connected to the Hebrew idea of shalom. Uh, The phrase means not only peace, but also soundness or completeness or wholeness. Uh, The idea of things being what they should. Moreover, the phrase be at peace, the the Greek word here, is actually just one word. It's a verb form of the word peace. So we might also say that the passage is calling us to to have peace or to live peaceably or to reconcile or simply to peace with one another. Regardless, this peace is something that we do actively rather than passively. It's a job for us to do rather than something for us to acquire by default. One of my uh, favorite 
uh, theologians, Alexander Schmemann, puts our, our peace-bringing work in the world in this way. A Christian, he says, is one who, wherever he looks, finds Christ and rejoices in him. And this joy transforms all his human plans and programs, decisions and actions, making all his mission the sacrament of the world's return to him who is the life of the world. That's the kind of mission this passage is calling us to. Not to be a stumbling block, but to be a sacrament, something that connects God to people's everyday lives. And that's what it looks like to be salt and to make peace. Now let's not think that this is easy work. Uh, It may be about peace, but but God's presence is a dangerous place. Uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, expresses this truth wonderfully. When the children in the book who have found themselves in Narnia uh, find out about Aslan the lion, the book's Christ figure, they ask uh, their host, Mr. Beaver, if he is safe, if, if Aslan is safe. And the answer that they receive uh, from, from Beaver, who has taken them into his protection, is this. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Now, many of us lead pretty safe lives. And, and please understand, I'm not saying that living with some security is a bad thing. There's much, much you can find in Scripture to commend the good gifts that God gives us. But there's also something to be said for the call to be unsafe, for the call to risk on behalf of God's mission. Now, you may rightly charge me today with being a little short on specifics. And I've only given you the briefest sketch of what the the good but not safe life looks like. Uh, But that's because the details are for you, for you as a person and for you as a church, for for we all as a church, to figure out for yourselves and for ourselves. If we knew ahead of time what this sort of risky life entailed, well, then it it probably wouldn't be all that risky, right? Um, But as we remove the stumbling blocks from ourselves and and remove them from in front of others, uh, and as we work... uh, not to disturb the universe as on the kid's tattoo, uh, but to be salt and peace for our world, we may begin to see where we are being called. So may we come to this risky mission of following Jesus, a mission of bringing peace and of wholeness to a broken world with all of ourselves, even today. Amen. May we go forth to be risky disciples of Jesus, taking up stumbling blocks in our world and being salt and peace for others. Go in Christ's name. Amen.